Hello, friends, and welcome to Men Do Disney, episode 143, Burning Questions. My name is Pete, and joining me tonight are Matt. What's up, everybody? And Tom. So we got away from listener supported. Interesting. We're three guys who want to help you make the most of your Disney World vacation, as well as to bring some of that Disney magic into your life every day. So put on your favorite pair of Mickey ears, lower your safety harness, remain seated until the ride has come to a complete stop, and men, let's do Disney. Pete, honestly, when I when I went to go open this outline for the episode tonight, I saw 143 questions, and I was like, Pete, we don't have time for 143 questions tonight. Well, so you actually gave me the inspiration for the uh, for the title tonight to tonight's episode. You were talking about the How? Mexican that you just ate, and so I thought burning, burning questions. You know what? I get that. It makes sense. I, I too was a little worried that we had 143 questions. And while very ambitious, and we do love questions, I was like, Pete, this is a, a four, a what, part one of, of four episodes? I mean, part one of eight episodes? What are we doing here? Well, I mean, like, we could, we could ask questions like, what is your name? What is your favorite color? I don't think those are the questions that people really want to hear, but hey, who knows? To each his own, right? If you I was just thinking, get- wow, we have a whole lot, we have a whole lot more listeners if we have 143 questions. <laughs> this well, look, if you guys, if you guys want to hear Matt talk about his favorite color, which is pink, or his favorite Disney character, who's goofy. Now, actually, Donald, probably, right? It's Donald, and my favorite color is blue. Um, See, look at that. Two questions knocked out right off the bat. We haven't even started the episode yet. I can go all day. All right, well, so based on our the last episode that I was on, thank you guys for covering last week, by the way, but based on the last episode that I was on, we talked about Tom and my trip to Disney World. And as a result of that, we had a lot of uh, listeners write in with questions. A lot of folks reach out to us wanting to know a little bit more detail about what we did, what we saw, what we thought. So we, we thought we'd kind of take this opportunity on this episode to answer some of those uh, some of those follow-up questions. So before we get into that tonight, well, let's pause for just a second to hear from our sponsor, Kingdom Strollers. So your family is coming to Orlando. And the thought of lugging your stroller onto the plane isn't your idea of fun. But you're smart enough to know that conquering the theme parks of Orlando without a stroller for your kids could be a vacation killer. As parents ourselves, we get it. You're not asking for much. You just want the convenience of a clean, affordable stroller or crib delivered to your hotel or vacation home, ready to use. Welcome to Kingdom Strollers, a Disney-featured stroller and crib provider that does exactly what you're looking for at a great price. To book your stroller or crib, just click on the item you'd like to reserve and select the dates for your rental. We run a tight ship, so we will never overbook. Next, tell us where you're staying and choose the times for delivery and pickup. Then, choose from helpful free accessories like cooler bags and rain covers. It couldn't be easier. If you have any questions or concerns, you can check our FAQ page or just give us a call. We are always ready to answer your questions. Once you've placed your reservation, there's nothing left to do except count down the days until you're in sunny Florida. So what are you waiting for? Go ahead and book your stroller or crib from Kingdom Strollers today. All right, guys, you ready to start on question number three of 143? No, I'm kidding. That was the epi- that was the episode number. Come on. You know how many episodes we've done, right? Yeah. So we've done... Been around for all of them, Pete. I was going to say, Matt has not been around for... If we've... This is 143. Matt has probably been here for 43 of them. Uh, that, I mean, that's fair, I think. I was here for episode number one. 
in episode number 143. I don't think anyone remembers what happened in the middle. I sure don't. But all I know is I've been here from beginning to end. You know, this I, is not the end. I bet you're the type of person that when he gets when you got the new Harry Potter books when they were coming out, still you would flip to the back and read the last page, wouldn't you? You're that no, guy. Aren't no, you? no, I actually avoided going to like um in, in our neck of the woods. We had um, books a million, and I wouldn't even go to the release parties because I just knew there was going to be one jerk in the crowd who would just yell out the ending. Somebody told me Dumbledore died. Uh, if you haven't read Harry Potter, sorry, spoiled it for you, but. Somebody told me that when I went to go pick up my copy of which one was that? Half Blood Prince. That was number six because I got spoiled on Sirius, and yeah. that, that's when I vowed I would never go back to midnight release. Tom, but this is a Disney sleep. podcast and not a not a Harry Potter podcast. So Pete, what is um question number three here? We're, it's actually a question. We're not going to count your two as as much as people I'm sure wanted to know. What, well, Tom, what's your favorite Disney character? You know this. <laughs> now you put me on the spot. And it's it's probably a cop out, but I mean Mickey Mouse is, is up there for me. That feels like a cop out. So but- so can I? Okay, then I I will specify either Sorcerer Mickey or Steamboat Willie. Okay, I like that. I like that. Now I want to go a different direction because Disney owns Fox now, and my brother sent this to me. Disney owns Fox. Right, Fox produced the Alien film series, so the Alien Queen is technically a Disney princess now. So that's my favorite Disney princess. Your favorite Disney princess is Elsa. We all know it. I do like I I do like Elsa. I do like Elsa. Okay, questions. Let's uh, let's let's get let's get back on uh, back on track here. Um, first question we've got we're gonna we're gonna save to the end, but uh, this will be the theme of our episode tonight, I guess. Kind of, is it worth going? Back to Disney World right now. Uh, we'll have some thoughts on that after we after we go through the episode. But uh, so let's put that aside for right now. So next question, Pete. I heard you didn't like Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. I wrote it back in February and absolutely loved it. Can you elaborate on why? Um, you know, nothing against the ride itself. the 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 effects on the ride are are pretty amazing. You know, for those of you who don't know and those of you who haven't seen it, I'm not going to I'm not going to spoil anything here, but it is very heavily projection mapped. Uh, there are a lot of scenes that rely very heavily on projection mapping. Not all of them were working when we rode the ride. It, it, and in fact, it seemed like the ride broke down in just about every room that we went into. And so we missed a lot of the wow factor of going into this room and seeing these active projection map worlds. So that was that was a major that was a major complaint I had. The other major complaint that I had is the pre-show. I've seen the pre-show before. I've heard great things about the pre-show. None of the pre-show was was running when we went. We literally just walked through the through the queue to the loading area, and and so that was pretty disappointing not to uh, not to see that as well. Tom, I mean you've seen you've seen the pre-show. You've seen the ride running as it should. I mean, should I have been should I have been impressed? Should I have so, liked it more? Yeah, th- to this person who said they wrote it back in February, you got the full experience of the pre-show, which neither of us have actually seen, due to some of the guidelines in place. A lot of pre-shows, all pre-shows at Disney have been removed, with the exception of Rise of Resistance. They still do, do a pre-show that pre-show there, but uh, like Tower of Terror and and uh, Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railway. Flight of rock passage, and roller coaster. The rock and roller coaster. They're all much different. Haunted Mansion. And so I do think the pre-show adds a lot to the attraction itself. 
and my wife is is one who goes into these attractions without watching anything on YouTube. I'm dead opposite. I like to see what I'm going into. So I had to explain a little bit to her based on what she would have seen in the pre-show. And then, I mean, you, everyone's heard the old saying, you only get one chance to make a good first impression. Pete went into this pretty open-minded. I mean, I was I was with him. I, we know we like to play up the great move ride on this, on this podcast, but he was genuinely excited to go. I don't think we could have waited two hours like we had to with the malfunctioning of the attraction and the closures if we weren't excited to ride it. We would have got out of line and done something else. But the overall experience with the attraction itself just wasn't great. It was much better when I rode it in, I guess that was August. But I will say this too. I walked away after my day at Hollywood Studios and there were five or six attractions I still like better. You were you were underwhelmed, right? And and you know, I felt after riding Rise of the Resistance, I felt so overwhelmed and I felt like that ride lived up to all the hype that riding this in the same day, I, I just I felt underwhelmed. Yeah. No, I mean I and I think that's I almost wish we would have done this prior to Rise. Because once you do Rise it your day at Hollywood Studios is is like complete, even if you do nothing else. So it's it's good to hear y'all's take on this, and I'm going to give you the take of somebody who you know just talk to people who are cast members and talk to folks who have been to the parks, you know, other than you two. And I mean, when this thing opened, I mean, people were just going crazy about it. They just said it was awesome, and I do feel bad for y'all that y'all didn't get the, maybe the full experience um, all the way through. Um, I think that this is one that I know that the two of you probably will agree with this. You want to do it again. Not necessarily because you loved it, but you just want the real immersive experience that you didn't get. And then we might, I mean, you guys might change your tune, I think. I, I wouldn't wait as long as we waited again for it. I mean, I, I, if I saw a 45-minute wait for it, I might think about it. But for what I got any longer than that, it's just not worth it. That, that's a great way to, to give you guys an answer. If it's over 30 or 45 minutes, I'm not waiting. Now, I say that I will be waiting because our next trip is with folks who have never ridden it before. But if it's just me, my wife and I, we've ridden it, we've done it. It's not going to be high on our priority list throughout the day. We're not going to rope drop this attraction. We would rope drop We would rope drop Toy Story Land, Rock and Roller Coaster, Tower of Terror, all above this. And, I, and why, the reason I say Toy Story Land is because we'll go to either Slinky or Toy Story Mania. We don't really care either way. We like them both a lot. I, I don't think... I don't know if Smuggler's Run is better, but they're really close. Well, and, and that's what I was going to say is, is would you do you prefer this ride or Smuggler's Run? I mean, because right now they both have the same wait time, basically. And, you know, if you've got to make a decision first thing in the morning, do you go to Smuggler's Run? Because Smuggler's Run, again, has had wait times in the, in the 75, 85 minute. Or do you go to Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway? What do you think drives that? I mean, just think, let's talk about how the park's laid out for some people who might not know the park as well as you guys do, and especially with the changes right now. So why do you think that it's drawing that big of a crowd? Do you think just because it's new, you see it pretty, like when you walk in, what, what do you think is driving that? I mean, it's the newest attraction in Hollywood Studios. It's front and center. It's like, why does Spaceship Earth get a long line early in the morning? People walk That's into the else. park and, and they're like, I want to get on a ride. But I mean, it's it's also not a bad attraction. It's a great attraction for a family. Like I would imagine, kids really love it. Is it? Does it still look like the the Great Chinese Theater when you're walking up to it? Identical. Yeah. I mean, they didn't they didn't change the facade at all. They put a they put a marquee up that says Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. But but other than that, it's exactly the same. Okay. Even the queue itself, 
like prior to the pre-show is identical. Correct. Correct. But I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't want to, I don't want to beat it up because it certainly is a, it's a really, really creative attraction and Disney. I mean, keep in mind, this isn't a, they don't, they didn't base this really off anything. This is an original imagine Imagineer creation. I just, it's uh yeah, it's just not, it's, it's not for me. Smugglers running this are really close. Pete, to answer your question, where would I go? And like for strategy, I, I wouldn't go to either of them. I mean, I, I don't, I try to avoid Galaxy's Edge because people, it's like people rush back there thinking it gives them a better chance to get a Rise of Resistance boarding group. And I, I don't ever want to jump on the first traction I see. So I, I would go to, I still go to Toy Story Land first. But if you're a brand new, haven't been to Disney, you know, want to see Star Wars Land, want to see Toy Story Land, want to see, and obviously you're going to go to Toy Story Land, but I mean, would you do Smuggler's Run over Runaway Railway? Probably. If I had a desire to see Star Wars, then I'm going to Galaxy's Edge and I'm spending the first part of my day there. Because there's more to do in Galaxy's Edge than just Smuggler's Run. Once you once you exit Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railway, you're not in any you're not in any land. There's it's just Hollywood Studios theming, and then you then you got to make another decision. So I'd probably go straight to straight to Galaxy's Edge. Okay. Uh, moving on. Have prices gone down at all? I hope this is. I hope this was a joke question. Come on, guys. Okay, you know so Disney. Let me, let me hit it. Let me let me hit this one first. So, from a ticket pricing standpoint of entrance in the park, no. Now, if you are an annual pass holder, there are deeper discounts on merchandise, restaurants, and hotels. And if you live in a select number of states, and it's essentially the southeast up to like West Virginia and Kentucky. There are different deals on going to Disney. There are a few different specials running right now, but have prices gone down? Short answer is no. What about just in okay? So are you, are you? I want to clarify this question because when I when y'all first when we first saw this question here, I was wondering. I mean, are we talking ticket prices? Are we talking merchandise? Are we talking dining? Is everything flat? Everything is the same price. And everything's the same price again. Like Tom just said. You, you do have more discounts. They're offering more annual pass, more DVC discounts, more Florida local discounts. But yeah, I mean, pricing hasn't hasn't changed substantially at all. There, there's some stuff you'll run into that's 20% off if they're trying to – like there's some Halloween-themed stuff now. I know that they're already starting to discount. And there are some things from Flower and Garden that they discounted. But for the most part, it, it's flat. And here's the, here's the frustrating thing. So you're telling me I'm paying the same price to enter a park – or the same price to eat a meal at a restaurant, and I'm getting a limited experience. In restaurants, you're getting a limited menu, and in the park, you know, you're no, there's basically no entertainment. The hours are shortened. You're not even in the parks for nighttime. I mean, I, one of my favorite things about Disney World, at least three of the four parks, is being in the parks at nighttime, and that is Hollywood Studios, Epcot, and Magic Kingdom. I can take or leave Animal Kingdom at nighttime because for so many years you weren't there at nighttime. Except I mean, Pandora's Pandora. cool. At yeah. night, but, but right. Yeah. Right now. I mean, it's, it's the same. So to me, it's a worse value even because now, of what you're getting there, in return. There are restaurants and Cinderella's Royal Tables, one of them that have reduced their prices somewhat to compensate for the lack of having that, that character experience. But I mean, you're talking like a five to $6 discount. You're not talking a substantial discount, not, not anything that you're going to recognize and appreciate. I'll put it like this. I'm, uh, we're going 
in, next week. I'll be there for, for a week. And we'll, we'll probably talk about this later in the episode. But from a restaurant standpoint, we're going to eat at Disney Springs places because not all their menus are, for the most part, not as, not as limited. And I, if I'm going to spend X amount of dollars, I, I'm going to try restaurants now that I, you know, because the park doesn't have everything open and running. So we're going to go to Disney Springs for a lot of meals. So next question we've got here, how crowded are the parks? I, th- I think that this is really tough to gauge right now because I don't think that the parks themselves are all that crowded. Now, they are certainly more crowded now than, Tom, when you went a couple of months ago. But they're still not all that crowded. There's just less to do. And so there's more people on the fewer things or around the fewer things. And and by things to do, you know, there's there are, there's no parades. There's no shows. There are fewer restaurants. There are fewer shops. So the attractions and the and the stores and the restaurants that are open and do remain open have a lot more people trying to get into those things. You know, I so I don't I don't know that the the parks are all that crowded, although they certainly seem crowded. But I don't know that they're all that crowded compared to say a summer day in 2018. Yeah, so I I would I, first I was just going to say too crowded, but Here's how I would describe it. What happened, and this is just my, like Disney keeps saying, we haven't raised capacity, we haven't raised capacity. That may be true, but they've shifted the amount of annual pass holders who can get in on a given day, like locals. And what was happening is they had this big allotment for ticket holders, they had this big allotment for resort people, and no one was going. So like you go to these resorts and they're absolute ghost towns. And so you're like, oh, the park's going to be empty, but you have a lot of locals going into the parks that aren't staying at resorts, they're staying at their house. So I have no idea what Disney's capacity is at, but I would tell you it seemed busier than a summer day to me due to the due to the wait line, due to the uh, the waits. But I don't know that there was more people in line. It's just how they're they're forced to load these rides at such a low capacity. There's space in the lines, there's cleaning procedures that have to take place. It truly is a a Difficult experience if you're used to using fast passes, or if you went into it thinking, "Hey, this place is look at the deals they're giving on hotels right now. This place is going to be dead. They need people there. They do need people in the hotels, but their parks are. I mean, you, you can just look at the availability calendar. I mean, there there are days where where parks are sold out. Yeah, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute. But uh, you know, the uh, we're spoiled. We were very spoiled that we never had to wait in line for anything. And so going to these parks now and, and having to wait even 15 or 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 45 minutes or two hours for some of these attractions is is really frustrating. Yeah, I think it's just what we talked about. You know, whenever Disney wants to you know fully open, they're going to be at capacity very quickly. I mean, it's just a water hose right now. And as much water as they're going to let out, how many people are going to come? And but but it's I don't but it's the locals that are doing it. It's not it's not like you have a lot of people traveling. You know, it's it's the locals. And yeah, if they opened it up and said, "Hey, anybody with an annual pass can get in," they'd absolutely be full. But I I don't know. You just you didn't see even at the airport, you didn't see the number of people that you normally do going to Disney World. You didn't see, I mean, Bay Lake Tower was was a ghost town. The Contemporary, I mean, I went to the Contemporary on a Thursday, what was that, a Thursday night or a Friday night or something like that? And the lobby was empty. There was nobody there. So, you know, people aren't coming f- from 
outside of Florida. But but yeah, you're right. If they were to open it and say, hey, anybody with an annual pass can come in, it'd be absolutely slam packed. Like to to give you a, to paint an illustration of what we mean by Bay Lake Tower being dead, we were the only people in the pool. There was not another soul in this massive pool. Now there were people in the in the hot tub. But there were, and this was eight. I mean, eight thirty, something like that, right? Right when we got back, eight thirty on a Saturday night. Yeah, there was no one in the pool. I'm shocked the pool was actually open, though. I mean, maybe people didn't think the pool was open. No, it was open. Why wouldn't it be open? Chlorine kills everything. You're good. Yeah, I did the water Um, slide. Anyway, anyway, um, this next question, I'm actually kind of, um, I'm interested in it as well. And we've talked about this a lot, guys. So. Um, you know, but we like to answer all the questions. Um, which land is more impressive, Star Wars Galaxy Edge or Pandora, the world of Avatar? I mean, Galaxy's Edge, hands down. There are aspects like Satuli Canteen makes me want to pick Pandora just because I enjoy being there. But, Tom, but you've never eaten at Docking Bay. I have eaten, oh, no, I've, I've, I've gotten a drink at Docking Bay while other people, same thing I did basically with you. You ate and I got a drink. But, I would and say it's not as good as Satuli, don't get me wrong. Galaxy's Edge is definitely more impressive. It's it's because it's and I don't know if like square footage wise, it's, it's it feels larger. a lot bigger. It feels way bigger. And there's more to do there. So like and, and I mean this is essentially what how I look at Pandora. There's two rides, there's one shop, and there's one restaurant. That's it. In Galaxy's Edge, there's droids, there's lightsaber stuff, there's a market, there's two uh, kind of quick service areas, there's two attractions, there's photo opportunities, there's th- uh, ogas. I mean, there's things I'm forgetting, I'm sure. And it's just a cool place to be. Like, I, I my, my wife and I on the next trip are doing Hollywood Studios two days simply because we're, we cannot get enough of hanging out in Galaxy's Edge. And ogas. You need to stay away from all oga. Yeah, we, we like Ogus. Ogus, Ogus, man, I I am glad that my credit card doesn't break down like each spot at Disney because the milk stand and Ogus have far too much of my money <laughs> or my credits. Can I spend too many? Credits can you guys there. compare these um two lands, daytime versus nighttime? If that changes your opinion on which one you like more, you know it. It I mean, Pandora is impressive at nighttime. Galaxy's Edge is is likewise. I mean, there, it's not like Galaxy's Edge changes a ton at nighttime. It doesn't. It doesn't come alive like Pandora does. Uh, there, the, the ships light up, and look, any Disney park at night feels different, right? So, it, does it feel different than Galaxy's Edge during the day? Yes, yeah, certainly. But, but does it being nighttime change my opinion? No, I, I don't think it does. You know what I think hurts Galaxy's Edge? So, like everyone talks about Pandora coming alive, and there are different, you know, Pandorian creatures, if that's even the right term, that that only make noises during night. That's kind of cool. If you pay attention to that, you're in there long enough. But here's what I think kind of screws over Galaxy's Edge. I think Toy Story Land's incredible at night. And if you walk through that, like to me, Toy Story Land is cooler than Galaxy's Edge at night. There are people that will disagree with me. But yeah, Pete, you're one of them, right? But I think Toy Story Land, I, I don't know what it is about it. It just, you really feel immersed in that you're the size of a toy. In Toy Story Land. Galaxy's Edge, also really cool at night. And and that's why I think it doesn't get the praise that Pandora does, because it has direct com- competition right next door. All right. Well, uh, next question. How long did you guys wait in lines? And following up, do you wish that FastPass were back? 
we waited in line far too long. And, and like I said before, Tom and I are, are very spoiled in that. And, and Matt, look, I mean, when we went, we were pretty spoiled too. And we didn't wait in a whole lot of lines. It's, it's really easy to just hop into the next fast pass. Unless the park is at capacity, unless it's the summertime, you you do get to the point where it's hard to do that. But if you're with, you know, if you're a party of two and the park's not real crowded, there's no reason you should wait in line with FastPass. So do I wish FastPass were back right now? I, I'm, I'm torn because I don't think it would help. I mean, it, it certainly would make the wait times longer. But, I mean... I, Selfishly, yes, I do wish FastPass were back just because I know how to work the system. But for everybody's experience, no, I don't wish it were back. I don't think it's coming back. I don't think it's, I think it'll come back in some capacity, you know, maybe as virtual queues. But I don't think FastPass as we know it is going to come back unless it's a paid system. Pete, okay, let me ask you a question. Would you rather FastPasses be, and this is just tailing off of this listener question because I just really like it. Would you rather fast passes be an additional fee or go back the way they were? Yeah, I I wish that I wish that they would be an additional fee. And not only do I wish they would be an additional fee, I I hope that additional fee is something not like twenty dollars a day. I hope it's something like a hundred dollars a day, because it it really because it, look if you charge twenty dollars a day, everybody's going to buy it, and you're back to the same thing that you had. If you charge a hundred dollars a day. Not everybody's going to buy it. I think Disney makes more money ultimately, but it becomes more like a universal where if you buy this, you're going to get on every ride pretty much instantly. Yeah. And that was my next question. Would you pay $100 to have access to fast passes that no one else had if it was the current or the previous system where you were using the My Disney Experience app? You pay $100 to work the system better than somebody else? Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. As, as, as long as, you know, as long as. If you have to pay $100 to get access to that system, yeah, I'd, I'd pay it. I'd pay it for sure. And, and annual pass holders, you can even charge like a premium on, you know, extra 500 bucks on your annual pass to get FastPass access, or you just have your annual pass. I mean, I, it could go to like an annual kind of subscription thing. Well, I don't think you want to do that because then you, you know, then you run the, the tourists out, right? Then all the annual pass holders are dominating the system. So, but, but, but yeah, I mean, do I think it should be a very high fee? Absolutely. I think that max pass out in, in California was, was too cheap. I think, I think Disney needs to go more towards a universal model. So I, I think this podcast and our platform from the beginning, we've been pro how universal offers their, I'm going to call it a fast pass. It's not what it's called, but VIP deal, whatever it is. So, yeah, I think we wish FastPass were back, but under the parameters that we're kind of laying out. Because we do feel ba- – I, I always have felt bad for friends and family who have gone to Disney and said all they did was wait in line because they didn't know how to work the system as well as, as we have. And we've been spoiled because we've gotten to go multiple times and, and had practice at it. And uh, so I wish you could – it would be like an all-in or all-out because I don't think – like everyone says – the queue gets longer because of fast pass, which is true. But if you charged a hundred bucks a day, you're going to have less people utilizing. I don't think it impacts the queue all that much. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts on fast pass. How long did you guys wait? We talked about this, I think on the Patreon episode, but we felt we were like, we were too often going with the crowd versus, you know, like if they're zigging, we're zagging. Now we were, we were right there with them. And, you know, I talk about what we did in animal kingdom, 
you know, we went with the crowd to Flight of Passage. We went with the crowd to Expedition Everest. And we were probably well on our way to going with the crowd to Kilimanjaro. So we waited, I'd say, an average of, of 30 or 40 minutes probably in Animal Kingdom. The average is a little skewed, but but maybe around that same number in Hollywood Studios and didn't get to do everything. Epcot, we rode one attraction. So we waited 30 minutes to get in for even just a drink, in, an hour in some cases. So we waited in a lot of lines. And I think we'll, when we get to that last question, is it worth going to Disney? We'll, we'll probably touch on all that. All right. Next question. Tell us a little bit more about where you guys stayed and how you got that room. Uh, so we were at uh, we were at a DVC room at uh, Bay Lake Tower at the Contemporary. It was a two bedroom uh, two bedroom suite. Uh, and and we're actually going to talk some more about this on our Patreon episode. So if you guys are interested, uh, check it out patreon.com slash men do wdw. But uh, yeah, we just we rented DVC points to uh, to get it in essence, and and it was a last minute deal that popped up and. Uh, we were there at the right time looking and, and got the room for a substantial reduction of price. I mean, it was about a week out from our trip. So don't expect to book this six months in advance, something like this six months in advance and, and, and get a good deal on these. And you can certainly rent DVC points and stay on Disney property, but you're going to pay prices that are more comparable to Disney prices if you do that. Whereas if you're willing to wait until the last minute, you know, you can, you can, get, some, you can get some pretty good deals on rooms. Yeah, and I think one thing to point out here, you can plan your Disney vacation six months out, a year out, and continue to look for these deals. It's real easy to once you get one to cancel that other reservation. You can cancel within 24 hours of your trip right now. I can give you an example. I am still looking to snag one of these reservations for my trip that's that's in about a week. So I am I'm gonna look until the last possible minute to see if I can get a deal on a DVC style room that will benefit us on our trip. But yeah, it was awesome. Like Pete mentioned, we're, we're going to have an entire Patreon episode dedicated to uh, this resort, as well as one of the dinners that we had at uh, the Riviera, which, which parlays well into our next question. So definitely check us out there. The next question we had, how did you guys get reservations to Riviera and Ogas? We've been trying for weeks now. So we, we, I mean, we were relentlessly doing the same thing you're probably doing, refreshing the app, and trying for weeks. Once we got Riviera, we um, you know we got that one pretty far in advance. And then Oga's a little trick. So Pete will go look for a reservation for say it was I think five people we had, and he won't put any guest names in. He'll just leave his own name in, which still frees me up to look for reservations too. And so that's kind of how we parlayed the system into getting multiple Ogas per day. And it, it just didn't look like we were associated with each other. Very very sneaky. Very sneaky. I bet, I mean, guys, Pete, literally, I tell you all the time, you should be a, a travel advisor that specializes in Disney because I don't know of anyone that knows more tricks of the trade than you do. Well, you, you've also got the reservation finder, touring plans reservation finder you can use that'll automatically search for you. And and we have used that before as well. I've got it, I've got it running right now, actually, for a, uh, for a Gico and a wine bar, George. So we'll see. All right. Um, next question: Are you guys going back to the parks anytime soon? Well, Tom, yeah, you you are going next week, so yeah, I guess that would be a yes. So let me, yeah, I'm going back, but I would not be going back if I had to buy a ticket. I'm only going back because I have a, an annual pass still active. And 
I guess that that goes to the next question too. Or Tom, are you going to renew your annual pass when it comes up? We are not. Uh, as as much as that hurts, if now Disney had an opportunity with me, and I gave him pretty direct feedback, if you can give me, you know, fifty or sixty percent off these puppies, yeah, we're in. Let's roll. But I think they I think they were given maybe twenty percent off, maybe thirty percent off, something like that. Still a pretty good deal. But we just want to do other things and. Disney's got a lot of new attractions coming in the next couple of years. I probably will wait after this annual pass runs up in December. I'll wait until, until um, you know, a couple of years down the road when COVID's behind us and everything's reopened. One thing I'll, I'll tell folks too, if you do want to start making a plan and you're not someone like us, because I don't think any of us are going to have an annual pass anytime soon. Um, you know, and I think Tom, if there wasn't COVID happening, all these things that have transpired, you you definitely be renewing your annual pass. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Um, you're shaking your head. No, I think well, you've gone to Disney a lot <laughs> over the course of the year. Um, but anyway, one thing to remember is if you do want to plan a trip out in advance, Disney does allow you to, um, kind of pay as you go where you have to have your trip paid for by this, by this date in the future. Um, my brother-in-law did that and they had a, they had a great time on their trip. Um, unfortunately they don't listen to this podcast as much as they should because they were waiting in lines a lot cause they didn't know how to work the system. But um, just remember, you can always, you know, pay as you go. And if you want to put out a trip, I think the furthest you can probably do that right now, what is it, Pete, like eight or ten months? Uh, usually you can't book much further out than that. I think it's I think it's something like that. It might be it might be as much as a year. but um, Maybe a year. But, I mean, you're going to have Disney's 50th anniversary coming up. You're going to have a lot of things, that new attractions that are coming. So maybe you just start saving money now. And instead of throwing down that money on an annual pass, you decide, hey, we're going to go stay like Tom and Pete did. And a deluxe, maybe potentially a deluxe resort, go out to eat the places you want to eat and just start saving now for that trip because Disney's going to be back in full force at some point and you're not going to want to miss it. So maybe now's a good time to save money for your Disney trip. No, and, and you can't buy an annual pass right now anyway if you don't have one. So, I mean, you, you could renew it, but you can't. Uh, and actually, Disney is letting folks who have expired annual passes renew now as well. Um, you know, for my sake, I don't have any trips planned right now. Uh, I had a I had a trip in December planned that I actually canceled in the uh, bus line at Epcot on Saturday night. And uh, now that's not to say that I don't sneak back down there at some point. Actually, I've, I've been uh, been talking to my wife about it a little bit, taking our little girl. But under the current environment, it's just it, it's not worth it for somebody who doesn't go a lot. I I wouldn't. I don't know that I'd make it somebody's first trip. I don't know that I'd make it somebody's once in a lifetime trip, once in every five years trip. You know, unless you're somebody that goes to the parks a lot, I, I just I can't say that uh, that I that I'd go right now. Um, I uh, I'm actually we're looking at Universal right now potentially for uh, for January. So who knows? We'll see what happens. Next question: Has Ratatouille opened yet? So Ratatouille is not opened. <laughs> And, and you know, I, I don't think it's real close. And I could be wrong. I'm certainly not in construction. I have no idea. We rode the Skyliner well, yeah. over to the International Gateway. And it, it's a mess over there still. It just seems like, like people keep saying it's right around the corner. And like I said, I don't, I don't work in construction. I have no idea what Disney's timeline is. I don't know how many hours they can work on this per day. I've heard people think it's a couple days of work before it's open. And I've heard people say, hey, we're a couple months out. I would probably be more inclined to think we're – like I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't open until January of 2021. 
Or I would not be surprised if Disney just did, because I think ultimately Disney probably wants to avoid the crowds that would come to see it. I could see Disney doing a soft opening and not saying a word about it, and all of a sudden someone wanders back there and they let you go in. But, but don't you think that, I mean, I don't know. It seems to me that they're trying to do anything in their, and everything in their power right now to draw people in that aren't locals. I, I, I think they'd make a big deal out of this. My thing is like, what's the rush though? I mean, right now with people already, pro- we're this podcast is not the only, you know, folks that have gone to Disney in the world that are disappointed in what they've, you know, gone to lately. So, I mean, the rush, you know, do you really want to bring a lot more people in to have a disappointing experience, especially when 2020 is kind of, kind of been awful guys. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I agree. It'll, yeah. It'll be interesting to, uh, to see when it opens because like I said, Pete and I have our opinion of it based on what we've seen, but I am the first to admit we do not we, we do not work in the construction space. Close to it, though. Close to it. Yeah, close to it, but not definitely not in it. All so right. the, the last question, or not the last question, we have one more after this, but the next question, you guys talk about DVC a lot. Is it worth it? I just want to take this moment to say, that I am looking at DVC rentals, not not joining DVC, but I'm looking for my trip right now. And there is a very tempting room that uh, I'm going to talk to my wife about in a minute. But Did you just find is it? DVC worth it? I don't I don't know. I don't think so, unless you're just you're really really committed to either selling for a while to make some make that in, initial down payment back, or you're you're really utilizing them to go to Disney a lot. Pete, you know more about DVC than I do, so I, I'd love your opinion. All right. Well, so DVC is expensive. DVC is not for the person who goes to Disney once every three years. D- DVC is for people who are going to go every year uh, and and uh, are going to are going to use it, or they're going to sell the points. Um, and and just a basic overview, DVC. And I think I made a mistake, and I don't. I think it was two episodes ago. I said Disney was charging one hundred eighty-five dollars a point. It's actually two hundred twenty-five dollars a point, or two hundred twenty dollars a point at Copper Creek, and one hundred ninety-five at Alawani and uh, Riviera right now. That's your upfront cost. You also pay closing costs on top of that, and then you pay on top of that. You pay yearly maintenance fees. And that ranges from five to eight dollars per point. So you have a you have a yearly cost that you're paying, you know, twelve hundred, fourteen hundred, sixteen hundred dollars a year that you're paying. That's after you pay the thirty some odd thousand dollars that it costs for the DVC points. Now these are you know these are long term contracts. These are fifty year contracts or fifty nine year contracts or something like that. So you can hand these down. You can use these you know for your lifetime essentially hand them down to your kids, or you can resell them. So is it worth it? If if you have, I tell you, I'm looking at 150 points at Copper Creek right now. Disney is saying $32,000 is the cost for 150 points. If you've got $32,000 that you can haul off and, and write a check to Disney, absolutely. And that, that you're not going to miss, absolutely go do it. If you're going to go to the parks twice, you know, you could probably go twice a year, stay at a studio, non-peak, for 150 points a year, easily. If you've got to borrow $32,000 and finance it at you know whatever their ungodly rate they're charging, 9, 10, 12% right now, 
No, it's not worth it. Your break-even point is non-existent, even if you're selling the points. So, I mean, it's it's really up to, again, it's a, it's a timeshare. This is, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've been, I've been kind of brought up to think, wow, timeshares are evil. And I never want to get involved in a timeshare. This is the only timeshare that I would ever consider getting involved in just because there actually is a resale market for it. Uh, I would never get involved in timeshare. I mean, I grew up the same the same way you did, Pete. Just hearing timeshares are bad, don't do it. And um, uh, but I'm kind of there, there with you. I mean, anything you can see, any kind of return or possible, you know, bailout on an investment. Um, and I think you got to remember the people that are doing DVC. They are people that absolutely love Disney. I mean, this is their vacation. Whenever their family goes out of town, they're they're not going to the Caribbean. They're not going on a cruise. They are going to Disney World. And they're going to Disney World to spend money. Um, every DVC person I know, they go to Disney and they'll just go buy thousands of dollars worth of Disney memorabilia while they're there. They'll have a good time. I mean, but they are they are all in on Disney. This isn't just a, hey, you know, we're going to take the kids on a family vacation. This is a, DVC members. It's a way of life. Yeah, that, that's a great point. This is... If you buy a DVC membership, unless unless you've got money coming out your ears, that, that's that's your vacation, right? That's what you do. And for families that that's what they do, yeah, can can it be a great investment? And they can they can pay dividends, absolutely. But if that's not the case for you, I, I think you look elsewhere, and I think you look at what doing what Tom's doing and, and running DVC points or finding these DVC deals because it's. It's still possible to to rent DVC points, stay at the DVC rooms, and not be a DVC member. And and you're yeah, you're gonna pay you know you're gonna pay a little bit more than you would otherwise, but you can still get that experience without without dropping thirty grand on it. I guess is the uh, is the long and short of it. A hundred percent. I mean, when Tom did this, he and his wife decided like their vacation this year, anytime they had opportunity, was going to be Disney World. And so you can do an annual pass for a lot cheaper than you can do DVC if you just want to make it a year a year thing. Um, real quick, I'm going to toss this one out to you guys. The last question we have, and we've touched on it a few times. I'll answer first, and then I'll let you guys have more of a back and forth than you've been more than I have recently. But is it worth going to Disney right now? Um, for me, based on what I've read, what I've seen, what I've heard, um, what you guys have said, my wife and I have talked about it. We're not going to Disney World right now. As badly as we miss the parks and we miss going, it, we're, we just won't be going till this this mess clears up. What about you guys? So I am going to Disney multiple times throughout the balance of this year because I have an annual pass. I don't think Disney's necessarily worth it right now. I think what they're giving you for the for the value for the money you're putting into it isn't worth it. I recently just talked a friend out of spending, you know, he had like a three thousand dollar budget for a weekend to Disney. He was gonna do it up big. And I had to talk him out of it. And I said, look, either save that for another time at Disney or, or you and your, you know, you and your girlfriend go take a trip, uh, somewhere else, because I don't think Disney's worth it right now. I love Disney world. This doesn't change any any of my opinions and feelings about it, but I, I just don't know it's worth it right now based on our last experience there. My opinion could change, but right now I wouldn't go. Yeah, I, I think I'm in the same boat. If I had an annual pass and, and that were a sunk cost already, because let's face it, the amount that Disney was, was giving you back if you elected to cancel your annual pass was, was kind of a joke, right? It, 
if I had an annual pass and it were a sunk cost, I'd probably be going now too. But under the current environment, I cannot justify paying $100 a day to go into these parks. Yeah. No, I think that's a good way to put it. And what Pete's alluding to with at least my annual pass, I don't remember how many months we had left on it. I guess maybe four or five. Disney offered me about 280 a per a pass, which if we were to take another trip at all throughout the balance of the year, we're spending more than that on a three-day or four-day trip. So we elected to keep them and just continue going. And we will be there next week and, and again in December and probably a weekend in November, I would assume. All right. Well, any, anything else to say on that? Hopefully we uh, answered a bunch of you guys' questions about our trip and about the current, uh, you know, current state of the parks, I guess, for lack of a better, uh, lack of a better term. Anything else, please feel free to reach out to us. We'll, uh, we'll do our best to answer it. So on to the uh, trivia and secret for the week. Tom, what do you got? So secret of the night, you listeners out there, are you familiar with the nanny chairs? At Disney's Boardwalk Resort. If Hold you're on, not, just let me stop you right there. Guys, if you're listening to this, pause, Google Nanny Chairs Boardwalk. So you just get a picture in your head before Tom starts talking. We'll wait. So I'm hoping nobody got in a wreck while driving and taking Pete's advice. But I do think looking up the nanny chairs at the Disney's Boardwalk helps as I read the rest of this, this secret. So there's four of these little guys running around. And they are all cast from the original 19th century carousel chairs. It's the type of chairs that were originally intended to give nannies a much-needed rest while the children they watched rode a carousel. But if you look at the backs of these chairs, they each have like a hand-painted name. So there's Todd, there's Paul, there's Alex, and Carrie. And these are these names for the chairs are rumored to be the names of the children of the Imagineers who created them. But the spookiest thing about them is Disney moves them around the resort all the time. So they put them in like places you wouldn't necessarily think they'd be. So you'll turn the corner and then bam, there's a nanny chair staring at you. And so there's two that are usually upstairs in the lobby and the other two just kind of bounce around downstairs. Tom, I'm really glad that you saved this particular tidbit for, um, for October and Halloween, because now that I'm looking at these chairs, they're creepy, right? They're very scary looking. Um, I mean, this is what I would imagine. You, you go to, you know, you go into the attic of a, a house from the 1930s or something, and you and you turn the corner, and then there's some creepy dolls sitting in the chair as well. I, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. I'm gonna see this when I close my eyes tonight. Yeah. So good luck getting that image out of your head. Go to the trivia question of last week, and then we'll hit the trivia question of this week. So, trivia question last week. When asking for the secret menu at Disney's All-Star Movies, what will the cast member point out to show you? This is kind of cool. I don't know if they're still doing this due to the COVID, but at one point, you would be shown a special briefcase and told to enter the classified combination and unlock it. And inside the briefcase, there was a Viewmaster, like a legit Viewmaster where you click through. Uh, you have to click your way through the slides to make your menu selections. Last time we were there, the menu featured a cinnamon bun, a candied bacon cheeseburger, a poutine with gravy and cheese curds, and like a bacon mac and cheese dog. So go for it. See if it's still there at All Star Movies. And uh, that's just kind of a cool, cool secret, cool trivia question. So to this week's trivia question, I think everyone is at least familiar with the Fire Rock Geyser that is at the Wilderness Lodge. But do you know how high it shoots the water into the air? 
So by feet, how high how high in the air? And then how often does it erupt? You can tweet us at Podcast or email us at mendoww at gmail.com with your guesses. All right. Well, good stuff. Any uh, Anything else for tonight? I'm good. All right. Well, that's all we have this week. Please tune in next week for some more Disney magic. Look for us on the Twitter at Podcast. If you have any suggestions, questions, comments, please tweet us or email us at mendoww at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. It really does help us out. Thank you so much for listening and giving us the most valuable thing you have, your time. We'll see you next week.